for many months now. We have been sounding the alarms about the outrageous violence that is occurring in our community. It continues to surge on top of record levels. And tonight is an absolute tragic reminder of that. Joining me this morning to talk more about the mayor's proposal is the FOP President Rick Snyder. So good to see you. We're reminded this is not a gun violence issue. It's not a knife violence issue. It's not a car violence issue. It's a human violence issue. And until we start to address these issues of the heart, none of this is really going to improve. I'm Patrick Rose, National President of the Federal Water Police, and this is the Blue View. Well, Rick, thank you for joining us today. It really are some challenging times for law enforcement. I really want to dive into a number of things that uh, that you're doing, uh, both in Indianapolis and, and also in, in a role as chaplaincy. But, but before we do, if you could tell, give our viewers a little bit about yourself. Well, I've uh, got 25 years of law enforcement experience uh, here in Indianapolis. Uh, we have the Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department, and uh, I've worked in uh, street patrol uh, through um, regular patrol and as a field training officer, uh, was promoted to sergeant and then um, spent a good deal of time in investigations, uh, really running the whole gamut uh, from um, sex crimes, personal crimes, child abuse, homicides, uh, spent some time uh, also in administration and training also had the opportunity to help create and implement a leadership academy uh, for Indianapolis that's really been attended by folks throughout the Midwest and uh, even from as far away as Canada. And um, a lot of our national FBI graduates are also going through it. And that's been a remarkable thing to be able to be a part of. And then um, uh, really have transitioned into this representative role and leadership role for our fellow officers here in Indianapolis. So we have about 3,000 active and retired members for the Indianapolis FOP. We don't just represent Indianapolis, we represent many other surrounding agencies on not just the local level, but also at the state level and the federal level uh, with some of our Homeland Security officers and postal inspectors and folks like that who are in the area. And uh, I'm now I'm in my eighth year as being the president of the Indianapolis FOP. And I've been on our executive board now for about 15 years. Rick, you've done a, a great job of building a, a kind of outreach uh, within the community, of uh, building support for law enforcement. You know, the, really, the, the powers that we have in law enforcement are, are related to the trust we have in the community. And you've been in a, in a forefront uh, of doing just that, building those relationships. Can you talk a little bit about some of the programs uh, that you have in place and, and the successes that you're, you're finding from them? Yeah, so uh, about back in 2018, we had a highly controversial use of force incident that occurred here in Indianapolis. And one of the things that we did in that was we were very proactive and out front on that. Um, one, in demonstrating that it was a lawful use of force by our officers, but taking that incident that occurred really as a foothold to then flip back around to our community and say, listen, we collectively have to do better than this. We cannot... Uh, fit into that traditional mold where the police and the activist groups and different people uh, come out of their corners and fight it out on a specific incident, dust themselves back off, and then go back to their corners again and wait for the next controversy. So what we said is uh, we launched what was called the Think Bigger Initiative, and we said that we really need to get around the table on a consistent basis, work together, think bigger about the challenges that we face. And when we do that, uh, we already have those relationships in place for when those incidents occur, but also to help better educate the public about policing practices, but then also, just as importantly, educate the police about the needs of the community and also the concerns that folks have. 
And we took pretty proactive steps to also work with our Indiana Bureau of Motor Vehicles. We developed uh, training and testing criteria that actually, uh, for the first time ever, implemented what are do's and don'ts during traffic stops, uh, specifically in cars uh, with uh, law enforcement. Uh, but also if you're stopped on the street or uh, call police for services and things like that are huge stepping stones to just build that trust and respect um, and have those good open lines of communication. What we find is that in a lot of our communities, the bad thing happens and there's been no prior communication, no prior relationships. And so all it is is just beating against one another, which is a lot of wasted energy. Um, and then it also provides the platform to find solutions moving forward. And uh, we have been had remarkable success with that here. Um, we're continuing with that. We have one of the largest shop with a cop programs in the country. And we're also doing some um, skills, trades exposure, especially to youth in our community on exposing them to different mechanics, electrical work, construction work, things out of the, tradi the traditional mode of just go to college, but some of the skills that are desperately needed right now. And in doing that, forming those relationships with our officers and the youth in the community. Yeah, Rick, we look across the country and we see cities that are struggling on a, on a whole bunch of issues. The last 18 months have been very, uh, very difficult for, for professional law enforcement, as, uh, as there are many that uh, are quick to dehumanize and, uh, and, and really degrade law enforcement officers and the roles that we play in society. Um, all of that took its toll. It took its yeah. toll on, on cities. It made our cities less safe. It made our jobs less safe. And it, it also makes it more difficult for law enforcement officers who commit themselves to this job. So what are some of the challenges that you see uh, during this time trying to navigate through this narrative that, uh, that seem to have sweet nationwide? Uh, the, the things that you see in Indianapolis and how you've been able to, uh, to try and jump ahead of them. Well, we've been just as affected as every other major city in the country. Uh, one of the things that was unique for Indianapolis is prior to uh, prior to 2020, with the pandemic, the riots, civil unrest, all those things, we were already experiencing back-to-back -back years of record levels of homicide rates. And so when 2020 hit, that just exacerbated it. But we went, you know, we, we saw homicide rates rise over 50% um, in just a little over two years. Uh, last year, we had uh, uh, 271 homicides in the city of Indianapolis. And when you adjust for population differences, so homicides per capita, we actually were right at the same level as Chicago last year. And already this year, we're outpacing them anywhere from 7 to 12% uh, in our levels of homicides. And so we've not been immune from this at all. But one of the things that we have consistently done is we've been very proactive in bringing attention to it. And we've really tried to point our community back to when we're going to talk about root causes, let's also include the broken system of criminal justice in that. And we've been very strong in highlighting the revolving door. We actually just held a press conference today on a on a, a suspect that just shot is alleged to have just shot one of our police officers this past week. And in that, we're just now learning that here again, there was an opportunity to intervene and possibly prevent this from happening by holding this suspect accountable for prior bad acts. And what we keep saying is, listen, this isn't about pointing a finger at people or vilifying people. In fact, what we have said is we're called to do two things, love God and love our neighbor. And if we truly love our neighbor, even when they're committing criminal acts, heinous acts, 
we have to recognize that sometimes we have to help protect them from themselves. And if that means intervening, holding them accountable for prior bad acts to prevent them from being not just a suspect, but possibly a victim in a future homicide or non-fatal shooting or stabbing, we, we owe that to one another. And so it's really caught on here in Indianapolis. Our media is proactively researching these cases as they occur and looking at criminal histories because we make clear that today they could be the suspect, but tomorrow they could be the victim. And we've seen that in our homicide levels. We learned that last year over 40% of our homicides involved uh, folks with prior criminal histories that had they been held accountable, those could have been prevented. That's significant. But we always say facts matter. And so one of the things we appreciate is that the national FOP has really taken that approach. And you guys are providing us with those national statistics, those national facts that we need to see the large scale problem. And then we're able to drill that into our local community and say, here's what's happening across the country, but here's what's also happening in your city. For us, it's actually worse often than the national trends, um, but it shows that um, this is a nationwide issue and uh, there are steps that can be taken to save lives and reduce these numbers. Look, I'd love to tell you that this is an Indianapolis problem, but the reality is, is it is. Uh, it is basically every uh, major city across this country is dealing to, in some extent, uh, a lot of these uh, these same very challenges of uh, watching what rising crime rates. And, and in many cases, no one's speaking out for the victims. Uh, that is right. Yeah, we, That's know, one we, of the things that we keep making clear, right, is victims deserve better. Absolutely. We, uh, we saw a 127% increase in female homicide victims over just the past two years in our city. Yeah. Well, when you backtrack off of that, what you find is we're in a city that gives an automatic $500 cash bond for many of the precursor crimes that are the highest pr predictor of lethality for domestic violence, such as felony battery, stalking, strangulation. In Indianapolis, those get an automatic $500 cash bond and they're cycled back into our neighborhoods. And, and then you see these dramatic increases in not just crime, but the violence and the, and the homicide statistics. Again, what's that tell us? It tells us that all of that's, pre not all of it, but a good majority of that is preventable. Um, and we all have an obligation to step in and intervene uh, when we have the opportunity to, to uh, do so. Rick, to make your point, uh, there are a number of instances across the country where uh, the actual perpetrators, the, the suspects, are themselves recognizing that the system that has allowed them to go back out and, and, and to, to continue to offend how, how ridiculous this sounds. And this is, this is even from their vantage point, they recognize that, that you're right. It's something's got to break this cycle. And, and there are, there are definitely people out here we need to help and we need to work with. And, you know, uh, incarceration is not the answer to everything, but at, at the same time, there are people that, uh, that really need to be removed uh, from this vicious cycle of, uh, of violence that continues. And we, we see it time and time again, the people who are violent offenders only to be put out so they can continue to offend. And, uh, you know, we lose, we lose tra track of the, a simple thing. You know, we talk numbers, you know, we talk, you know, yeah, a hundred percent here or 120% that that's impersonal. What we fail to recognize that every one of those numbers is a person, it's a failed family. It's, it's, you know, it's a family that's, that's struggling. It's a, you know, it's a you know, rearranged families, you know, things that will never be put back together. So uh, we really need to, to, to stop, stop all this impersonal discussions and have meaningful discussions on how to move forward. The reality is, is the success of every community truly depends on all spokes of the wheel, everyone working together because we all have, all have a role to play and we yeah. can all do our job. If we catch one part 
that decides it's going to do it different, uh, like uh, prosecutors that want to go out and, uh, and, and reform based off of uh, their role. Well, they, they took an oath to, 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 to do a job and to protect victims. And when they fail to do so, well, it's just we're missing that point. We, we all need to come together. We need to have that meaningful discussion, fact-based discussion. And, uh, and find a path forward because I think we all want that same result. You know, the last year, uh, Rick, and this is, this is really what, what you know, I wanted to talk to you about. And I appreciate your leadership in Indianapolis. You do a great job uh, using fact-based discussions and helping to inform the public of what's going on. Keep up the great work you're doing there. But I also yeah, want to talk you. about this, this, this place you find yourself now. And I'm just uh, I'm in awe of just watching how effective and, and, and just, just what a great job you're doing in the role of chaplaincy. Um, you know, if you look at our, our, our members, they're, they're struggling in a lot of ways. It's a very difficult time for, for people in law enforcement. Uh, but you found a way to, to truly give a voice uh, to the men and women who suit up and show up every, every day and, and do it in, in this, this environment that we're in. Uh, and the officer's wellness, it all starts with recognizing some things. I, I, I'd love to, to, to really dive in because you, you have such great ideas and, and, and I watch you in action. It's not just talk. It's, uh, it's, it's really reaching out and touching the lives and, and working with, uh, with people who are struggling. Uh, talk a little bit about what you do in Indianapolis and how you've been able to, as a, as a national chaplain, uh, push this into to a greater picture here where we're really helping in a false multiplier, a force multiplier, pulling more people into this and, and helping, uh, helping, you know, people who are ordinary people just called upon to do some extraordinary things at times. And it, it takes its toll on them and they're both, both their lives, their family lives and mentally and physically. Sure. Well, uh, sometime back uh, when we created that IMPD Leadership Academy, one of the components that we really honed in on during that time was this discussion of mental and emotional wellness of our officers. So, you know, we've now done a pretty good job for many years of focusing on physical health, heart issues, uh, heart attacks is one of the leading causes of deaths for officers uh, as non-line of duty, but then also some line of duty deaths. And so we did, we've done a really good job with that. Well, then we also built in this IMPD uh, Office of Wellness, Professional Wellness and Development as well. That's really become a national model. I know our national FOP has created a national wellness committee, really springboarding off of that framework and that work, and, and they've taken it to another level as well. But in that, what we have said uh, consistently, not just here, but throughout our country is, we're doing a real good job of focusing on physical wellness. We're now doing a great job of talking about mental, emotional wellness, but there's still really a third piece to the overall puzzle. That's a three-legged stool that's missing. And quite frankly, isn't just, it's, it's just not that it's not talked about, but oftentimes people go out of their way not to talk about it. And that's spiritual wellness. And we've really just uh, have been unashamed about that and been able to say, listen, uh, we do a good job in law enforcement of talking about the warrior spirit, the spirit of an officer, uh, the guardian spirit, all these other things that we try to call it. But really what it comes back to is this, this uh, hole with inside all of us that something is missing. Uh, something else is missing in these discussions and you just can't get around it. And, you know, proof positive is, you know, some of the statistics that we do have, right? One in five uh, officers are struggling with an alcohol uh, addiction issue. That's just alcohol, let alone any other kind of addiction issues. We, uh, we see on average an officer dying in the line of duty uh, about every 52 hours in this country. That number has been skewed based on COVID deaths, but that's the general trend line for regular um, line of duty deaths, excluding COVID, um, every 52 hours. But worse yet, we know that 
science has shown us and studies have shown us that probably two to three times as many are dying as a result of their own hand. And quite frankly, that's probably underreported. It's probably closer to four times as many. And so what's leading to that? Uh, to your point earlier, we've gone through this cycle of officers being demonized, dehumanized, demoralized. And what's the outcomes of that? Well, you can't retain officers. You see officers running for the exits from their police departments. You can't recruit qualified candidates. Who wants to do a job when they're in an environment such as that? And the ones that are stuck in the middle and dealing with that, they're, they've come to realization through a global pandemic, all these riots and unrest, where they were in cities that were literally burning to the ground and they were, quite frankly, cut off at the knees and handcuffed from being able to intervene and do anything about it. And that's where officers say, hey, I'll die for something, but I won't die for nothing. And they hit this point of disillusionment. Well, that's where we come in. And we remind our officers that, listen, every officer, when you ask them, why do you do this job? You know, some will say, because I wanted to help people or uh, my dad was an officer, or all these other things. But when you get down and you drill all the way through it, invariably, they'll tell you, I just can't explain it. I was called to do it. I just knew it was a call in my life. I knew it was something that I was called to do. What we have tried to do now through the chaplaincy program is to say, that's right. So who does the calling? And that's the critical point where we see officers take a step back, push pause and say, and I never thought about it that way. And, uh, you know, a lot of officers, when you talk to them, many of them have had some form of a faith um, a faith component in their life. Many of them have moved away from it or lost track of it. Some are very strong in their faith, but invariably we all must answer that question. And in a profession where, uh, you know, we operate in an area of possibilities, not probabilities, but even the probabilities are pretty strong that we're going to suffer some kind of critical incident in all of our careers as a victim or somebody having to take action in that. And you're left with these questions. We want to be there to help come alongside our officers and their families and walk alongside them through that and be able to point them back to the spiritual aspect of what they're going through. We're not talking about religion. A lot of people get hung up on that. We're not talking about any specific faith as a national chaplaincy. Now I say that for me, I'm a strong Christian and I'm a believer, but I recognize that people come from all different walks of faith and I respect that and I value that. But we want to come alongside them, walk alongside them, and help uh, really kind of gird them back up uh, on their physical health, their mental, emotional health, but that spiritual health component, too. And we have been amazed at the response that we have seen. Uh, you, you know, uh, not to blow your horn, but you blessed me with the opportunity to step into this role. Phil Wiggins, who was our national chaplain for 12 years, uh uh, just one of the best people you can ever meet in your life. And uh, those are big shoes to step into. But what we've been able to do is just really say, hey, we're going to tackle these, these discussions. We're going to tackle these issues and help at least point you in a direction of how you can work through that. And you don't have to do it alone. And officers have responded. We had the opportunity at this last national FOP wellness conference in Nashville, Tennessee, where we were able to have a breakout session talking specifically about issues of the spiritual wellness of officers. I thought we might get four or five folks who would show up to the class because you got to pick what you wanted to go to. I figured they would be my friends, kind of a deal. But you saw it, Mr. President. Both of those sessions were standing room only. And folks were saying to us, 
there's got to be something more. We need something more. And uh, I'm hopeful that we're able to uh, fill that gap for many of our folks. Well, what a, what an awesome job you did in the, in those sessions. And there's something that you did uh, in our, our session, 450 people sitting in a room. You asked to do something, and, and I guess it really hit home for me hmm. uh, when you asked everyone in the room that if they have lost a friend, a fellow, a coworker, fellow law enforcement officer uh, to suicide, because they please, could they please raise their hand? Now, 450 people in that room, I think you'd agree that they probably had less than 100 raised that did not raise their hand. Oh, by far. Uh, yeah. And, and, and the you, vast majority. Yeah. You took a, uh, you took it a step further and asked them to continue to set it earlier. We're ordinary people called upon to do some pretty extraordinary things at times, but, but, but I think it, it, there's a perception that somehow we pin on a badge. Uh, I used to, I used to tease it at, when I, you know, on a job saying what well, I was supposed to sniff my badge and be immune to these things. And the reality is it's not, it's not so, I mean, we're human beings and we, you know, we're affected by the, by the same things that an average person does. You know, th there's some studies that show that an average person in today's society in America might have one or two traumatic events in their lifetime. And it is no question that a traumatic event can change somebody both physically and mentally. Yeah. You take a law enforcement officer just from the, just from the, nature of their business or their, our job. This could be 20, 30, 40, 60, a hundred. It wouldn't be out of the question. And so when you look at the mental health of officers, it's easy to think that they put on a badge and they're immune to all of this. And the reality they're not mm -hmm. And those things that they live with, you know, the, they close their eyes, the smells, they can't, they can't unsmell the, uh, yeah. the sights they can't unsee. Talk a little bit about, uh, but what we can do, I, I know you talked about as a movement across this country, but, you know, uh, we're all our brother's keepers and we all work alongside someone, uh, you know, law enforcement officers. And chances are, and you're, you're in a room with more than two people, you're in a room with somebody who's struggling with something. Um, what can we do? What, what, you know, message to law enforcement officers, uh, uh, how we support each other and how we should and how there's no shame in, in asking for help. Can you? Well, I think one of the one of the best things we can do is is have some of these tough discussions ahead of time. You remember we just talked about that with the community, right? That if we have those relationships, we've already been having those discussions. When the bad things happens, it makes it much easier to communicate and work through those those new events. Well, it's no different for our officers. I can tell you that what we're finding is um, it takes those informal leaders within law enforcement to, we saw it with the uh, mental and emotional wellness program. You know, we really thought that in Indianapolis officers would, they would never go for that. Uh, 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 a, uh, an office within the department that was focusing on those issues. And we saw in relatively short order, the officers were speaking up in roll call and, and, and not just talking about it, but they were saying, hey, I went to wellness. I talked to somebody. This is something to do. You have confidentiality with them and all these other things. And we saw that really take off. Well, I think the same thing is happening on the faith side of this. You know, I, I always point out in law enforcement, we, well, right here, we talk about, uh, we have challenge coins all the time. This one right here says, blessed are the peacemakers. Um, and, uh, you know, we have officers that have challenge coins with that. It's on the walls of our of our uh, uh, homes, the halls of our roll calls. Uh, some agencies even have it on their police vehicles. And I always ask this question, who said that, right? And, and more importantly, there's not a period at the end of that. There's a comma. It says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. And if that's really our mantra, uh, what we're known and we challenge each other by to keep moving forward, shouldn't we know a little bit more about the one who said that? 
You know, we say it's better to give than receive. We say that we're our brother's keeper. We say there's no greater love than that one who would lay down their life for a fellow friend. Um, Well, who said all those things? Where does all that come from? And that's where I always say it's in this book. And this is a book that scares people when you raise it up, but it's all in here. And what I always just point out is if that's in there and that's what we base all these things on that we do, we probably ought to dig into that a little bit more. I know that's what happened for me, I guess is what I'm saying. I finally came to a point in my career where I realized I could not do this on my own. Try as I might, as strong as I thought I was, experienced as I thought I was, the amount of junk that I'd been through in my career and my life, I couldn't do it. Uh, you know, I was that FTO that that was one thing I couldn't I couldn't figure out how to talk or or teach somebody else about. Well, I realized I had to ground myself in that and get back to the basics and understand not just what it is I do, but why I do what I do. And more importantly, who am I doing it for? And this is what we're finding across the country, Mr. President, is that when officers they've come to this realization that I thought I was doing it for a community that loved me. I thought I was doing it for my mayor who swore me in. I thought I was doing it for the innocent victims in the community. When they saw people turning on them, turning their backs on them and accusing them of horrible atrocities and things that just weren't true, well, it drove them back to basics and and they worked through the disillusionment. And what I have found is when officers have come to that firm footing of, I'm doing it for the one who called me to this and have, and I'm putting my faith in that. And that if not me, who, who's going to stand this thin blue line? Um, That's when we're starting to see things change. And I think it's the American law enforcement officer that's going to take this country back from the brink of chaos and destruction um, and lead by example, like we always do. And when people watch the most criticized the most um, uh, demonized group in our society, which I think everybody can agree is the American law enforcement officer, when they watch them turn that other cheek and say, no, I'm not, I'm not fleeing from this. I'm going to stand the line here. I'm going to stand my post and, and, and be and, and do what I'm supposed to do. Uh, people will want to know more about that. How can officers have such grace toward people who are so condemning of them well, I would suggest to you we can follow a model that exists, and um, that tells us how to do that and walk this thing out. And that's going to turn our society. It's going to turn our communities, and uh, I'm just uh, absolutely confident in that. And I'm just grateful for the opportunity to be able to play a, a, a small role with you in the National FOP of helping to open those doors to our folks to have those discussions. You know, thank God there's some 800,000 men and women that, that suit up and show up every day, uh, go into communities and make the difference and, and have answered that calling. Uh, even in our worst times, it's not in our DNA to let bad things happen. It's a servant heart, and, uh, and, and America's law enforcement deserves, deserves the recognition and the support from their communities for the great work that they do. So, Rick, there's not, there's not one thing that's going to fix everything. It really is a holistic approach. And, and one of the things that I'm, I'm really excited about, and I, I'd ask you to speak about a little bit, is, is the things that we're doing through the Chaplaincy Program of the National, of building a database of support structure across this country. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what your vision with that is and, and, and where we are with it and what we can expect in the future? Yeah, so one of the first things we wanted to do was call upon our National FOP uh, trustees, 
and then also our state FOP presidents to say, provide us with a point of contact for your state, a point of chaplaincy contact. So, um, you know, in the state of Indiana, that's Rick Castle for us. So for me, I'm thinking, who's every state's Rick Castle? And there's everybody's got one. But who is your trusted point of contact that when there is a need, we can immediately make contact with that person in your state who can then drill down and link us up to maybe somebody right in that community. We've seen that now with some of the line of death, um, line of duty deaths that we've had in our country, where in some of our states, there's folks in parts of their state that they just don't interact much, even with their FOP or the other law enforcement. And so they're a small agency, they have a line of duty death, they may not know what to do next. And we're trying to get to them and get help to them and resources not to tell them what to do, but just to give them any help that they may need. And we're running into barriers of communication and contact. We're developing this database where we at least have one point of contact for every state that then can drill that down. What we then want to do is, is go back and backfill almost regionally within the states of who are key points of contact, not just individually, but also among the various faiths. I'll give you an example. If I have a small town somewhere, and let's just say they have a Jewish officer that loses their life in the line of duty, well, what are the burial customs and um, uh, religious um, steps that are expected and needed in that point in time? And maybe they don't have a rabbi close, um, uh, you know, or, or, so, uh, or whatever faith it is. And so we want to be able to call upon folks in those faiths that can immediately help out. And they're already an established, trusted FOP partner and voice. Um, the one thing we don't want to get into is having to rely upon somebody that no one knows anything about. They don't know uh, what they think even of law enforcement and run into friction and difficulties, especially for the families. And I think this is a significant step that we can make, and not just for line of duties, but if you have an officer critically injured or like we have had, we've had officers who have been off duty. Maybe they get in a crash in another state and they're transported to a trauma hospital. How can we quickly get trusted folks to them to help provide that initial support? And I think that's something that we can do. This will dovetail, our hope is, you have created this emergency response capability through our DART team, our disaster assistance response team. And that's, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, when you look at that trailer and the ability to transport uh, a mobile kitchen into a community, like happened in Louisiana during the hurricanes and Colorado after the fires and all these things we've been doing, um, you can't you can't make that up in real time. And so you've had the foresight to put that together and have that online. Well, we want to also be able to backfill that with a chaplaincy team to go with it. Uh, I saw it firsthand when we came down there in Louisiana. It really kind of broke my heart because I wish we could do could have done more. But even just our FOP response team members who are working all day, gutting out homes and, and helping rebuild communities and doing all these things, in the evening time, they're going back and they're sitting somewhere. And they're sitting around trying to get some food in them, trying to get some sleep, but they're dealing with all those things. It would be great to have a few of our trusted FOP chaplains that could be sitting alongside of them and just talking to them, talking about what they're experiencing and how to process that. Uh, also having out outreach opportunities in the community during those disasters, but really focusing on the law enforcement officers in that community. Because what we see time and time again is our officers do such a good job of taking care of everybody else. Who takes care of them? 
And that is absolutely the role of the National Fraternal Order of Police. And I think we're on the cutting edge of being able to do that. But we need the help of every state to provide us with that information. Uh, our contact information has been provided and we're plugging that into this database. And then that way, if somebody calls and says, I need help somewhere else, we've got an immediate contact form. You know, Ricky, you, you talk about disasters and it brings back memories uh, in my own mind, going back to Hurricane Katrina and most recently to Hurricane Ida personally being affected by it. I, I know what it's like. Uh, I know what it's like to be on the receiving end of this. And I know, yeah, I think... Uh, a lot of times when we see disasters, you know, but by the grace of God, you look on, on the evening news and you see these disasters, you see the weather, uh, the things that have happened across this country and, and, and just be grateful. It's not you, but, but it is in fact, somebody, and they weren't expecting it to be them just before it happened either. Uh, so, so that, that, that you know, that, that real, that reality is always there. But, but I think where most people don't recognize is that when a, when a community is struggling because of a natural disaster, who puts it back together? I mean, who's responsible for putting it back together? Well, it's the, it's, it's the first responders. It's police and fire and those people that are, you know, that's their role to do it. And I asked a simple question. Having been in that role, how effective can you be if that is your role to put a community back, to, community back together when you are, in fact, a victim yourself? That's right. Uh, so so that, that really is what, what the whole basis of our uh, disaster response uh, is, 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 is centered around. It's, it's to go out there and feed, give a good, give a good meal. Uh, to those people who are working in that in that situation, because I know if you've never been in it, you have no idea just what that a good warm meal is uh, during those particular times. We're often forgotten doing it, so we we know I know the value of it. But in addition to that, how effective are you trying to take care of a community when your own home is destroyed? That's right. And uh, so with our partnerships for our corporate sponsors, we've created this trailer and, and uh, Lowe's has, has provided several trailers for us. We call it remediation trailers. And we send crews out that go out and do remediation work to the first responders home so they can stay on a job and stabilize this community. I, I say that because I'm setting up where I'm going. We're taking care of their nourishment. We're taking care of their needs to have a, a clearer frame of mind, knowing that their property is being taken care of. And But I tell you, there's another factor from having been there, both on the receiving end and paying it forward, that uh, law enforcement officers relate to law enforcement officers. That's right. And when you're talking about a law enforcement officer who's also a chaplain, uh, that's just a false multiplier. Yeah. Uh, that uh, Law enforcement officers are uh, get much more uh, benefit of speaking to someone who understands them because they do the same job because they know that that person understands the, the shoes they walk in. So I, right. I, I, I agree. Uh, thank you. And this is what we need to do. This is absolutely what we need to do is incorporate this in uh, to our disaster response. Unfortunately, we've had several responses this year uh, from mm -hmm. the hurricanes in Louisiana. We had multiple multiple, uh, you know, several weeks response in multiple locations uh, to the uh, destructive tornadoes that hit uh, Mayfield, Kentucky, uh, several states, but I guess them uh, the, the worst. Uh, and also to the wildfires, as you, as you mentioned, it's it's showing up at these events and and uh, providing that stability, spotting all these different levels of support uh, that are so very important of officer wellness. So, uh, I appreciate uh, appreciate all that you're, you're doing. And, well, and you, you just highlighted it again, right? Take care of feeding them uh, physically, uh, providing support and remediation for them mentally. But then it is definitely the heart of the matter that has to get addressed in all of that. And you are right. 
there's no one that knows the challenges of an officer better than another law enforcement officer. And especially somebody that can say, I've been there and I've done that, brother. I've been there and I've done that, sister. And let me tell you what helped me. And then there is nothing more powerful. I find this time and time again, even when I think people don't want to hear it, they get embarrassed by it or uncomfortable by it. There's nothing more powerful than when another officer comes alongside an officer and says, hey, let me pray with you about this. Two officers standing in unison in faith and belief and crying out to something bigger than themselves. Um, we always say that there's no atheists in foxholes. We all know that. We all may not want to talk about it. We may not want to address it. We may not want to address the questions that we have in our own heart. But when, again, when the bad man comes, the bad, bad thing happens, and we're in the middle of the mire and the muck of life, and there's nowhere else to turn, oh, you're going to call out. You're going to call out to the creator, uh, to the same one that you swore an oath to. Uh, well, I was saying earlier, you didn't swear an oath to your mayor, to your governor. You swore an oath, so help me God. We all did that. And um, you're going to call out and, and seek that help. So when you have an officer that can say, hey, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a Bible thumper. I'm a believer. And I've been through this and know that there was no other way for me to have gotten through it and survived. That's when you see these things start to turn. And I think it's, it's this issue of courage, the courage and the willingness to be able to expose yourself and say, I do believe in these things and I know they are helpful and, and, and let's, let me share and, and walk alongside you. And I tell everybody, I think you've seen this. Uh, I would love to come and share this message that we did at the wellness conference. I'll come on my own time, my own dime. I don't care about any of that. I want to get these discussions in front of as many hearts and eyes of our members as possible because we see how it multiplies from there. You brought up the law enforcement chaplaincy thing. You know, that in 2021 at the National Conference here in Indianapolis, we recognized the Billy Graham Association for their work with their rapid response team. And that was from Indianapolis because they, they responded when we had a mass shooting at the FedEx facility. And they responded within 24 hours, really on their own, and provided tremendous help and support. And what was unique was you had retired police officers that were in those roles. And so we took them to roll calls. And you could see it when you would go to a roll call, the officers are like, ah, great. We got to sit through this and some religious thing. But as soon as they heard that they were retired cops and they wanted to pray with them and stand with them, changed completely. And that's what I know we're going to be able to do through the chaplaincy. Final thing on that. That's another group where we also highlighted that they have expanded a retreat in Alaska every year for law enforcement officers. And they're taking 10 a week with their spouses that have been involved in critical in incidents, uh, suffered critical injuries, life-altering injuries, and helping to uh, patch them up spiritually and kind of point them back in a direction where they can not just survive but thrive as a result of the tra traumatic situation that they've gone through. This is something that I, I firmly believe that we as an organization can help point our members toward, but also hopefully play a role in that. Um, but again, these are chaplains that are retired law enforcement officers or active law enforcement officers that they're that you're walking with. And uh, it's just huge. And uh, I'm so grateful that we're making these steps in our profession. Um, but I think we all see that it's 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 just critically needed. Well, you know, Rick, I've had the opportunity twice now. I have not been on the receiving end of it, but uh, 
twice now to respond to cities where there have been critical incidents and watch the Billy Graham chaplaincy program yeah. do just profound work. Uh, I, I, it's just the, uh, there's, there's, uh, it just warms the heart to see just a, just a transformation that happens and, 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 and you can feel it. I mean, I, I, you know, from, from an outsider looking in, I can feel uh, just what that presence th- there does. And, and, and so your passion it just blows me away. I, I, when you talk about this, you talk with such passion and from the heart. And, 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 and we need people like you because, uh, you know, if, if, if watching this, if one person, one person listens to what you have to say here and it changes their life and yeah. it changes the course of where they, the dark place where they might be heading, it was worth it. Uh, so That's you right. do you do God's work. Thank you, man. I, I can't uh, I can't speak enough. Watching uh, just watching the way that you've taken this position, and uh, I know uh, from uh, from my vantage point, uh, it's transforming you as well. It's transforming yeah, it is. a person that uh, that uh, just uh, I'm I'm in awe by the by the compassion you have uh, for so many. Uh, so keep up the great work. You're making us proud. I know you do. Uh, you have one other thing that you do. Um, it's not just here. This is, this is truly your life. It's not just the FOP. Um, although that probably takes up a good bit of your time, especially being president of a, of a major city like Indianapolis. Um, but you also have your own podcast yeah. where you, where you share this, uh, this same message, uh, to law enforcement officers. Can you talk a little bit about your podcast and, and tell our, tell our listeners if they would like to follow through or yeah. listen to, to that podcast as well, how can they find you? Well, and, and thank you for that and the opportunity to do that. Yeah, we, we launched an independent project. So it's independent of the FOP. It's independent of any, uh, church or organization or whatnot. It stands on its own. It's called remnant revealed. And uh, it's on YouTube and we've now got it on Spotify and multiple other audio podcast platforms. I don't understand all that, but we're, we're there. Uh, Remnant Revealed. And this is uh, myself and a good friend of mine that's been a, he's a chaplain for pastoral care for our local Indianapolis FOP, Dr. Chris Holland. Um, he is a uh, he's helped bury, um, unfortunately, several of our officers from line of duty deaths and um, non-line of duty uh, deaths and family deaths and everything else, and just a trusted friend of law enforcement. And we, for quite some time now at our Indianapolis FOP, have done what we call Code 3 at the FOP. And in Indianapolis, Code 3 means taking a break. And so it's an opportunity every month where it's just an informal kind of coffee group. It's not churchy. It's not preachy. It's an opportunity where we get together, have a cup of coffee. We talk about the challenges of the job, and then we... we uh, we throw it on the table and everybody talks about it. And then he does a great job of helping to bring a, a faith perspective to that. And we've really just, we've done that now for, uh, well, 10 years. Uh, and we said, you know, we want to take that to a larger audience. And so we created this podcast. It's called Remnant Revealed. It's he and I, it's two ugly, goofy guys sitting there talking, but we talk about real world policing issues. And it's a biblical perspective on policing. So we take the challenges and then we, again, unashamedly, unabashedly, as strong Christian believers say, this is what we find helps us in these times. And then we draw it back to scripture and to faith. And we're very consistent in this. Don't take our word for it. Trust what we're saying, but go and verify it for yourself in what really is the code book of life, uh, the instruction manual of life, and see what we're saying. We've had phenomenal discussions. We've gotten incredible feedback across the country already. We just launched it 
right before Christmas because we knew the holidays are so tough for all of our officers. And we've been amazed at the response and the feedback that we received. And we're hearing officers say, whatever you do, don't stop doing this. And they're sharing it. We're hearing of people talking about it in their roll calls. And we're also hearing about those the, the most important discussions that ever occur in law enforcement. And that's those side-by-side uh, pull-ups in cars where it's an officer talking to another officer, encouraging them, joining them in what they're going through, and walking alongside of them. And to your point, if it saves one life, we think about that officer that may be sitting in the middle of the night in their squad car, maybe even with their gun in their hand, wondering if this is all that it is and, and there's no other outlet. I just pray that if they would just hear that podcast, something that they can watch and nobody knows that they're watching it. We don't need to know that they're watching it. And it just gives them hope. Uh, we've succeeded. And uh, it's just a it's just a wonderful opportunity. And uh, we're just grateful for it. And I, I'm confident it's going to continue to expand and and go into other formats and whatnot. So thank you for your support in that as well. Um, I also want to say this. It's not we come at it from a biblical Christian perspective, but I'm I'm very uh, engaged in other faiths within our profession. Uh, the Jewish faith, the, the 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 Muslim faith, all these other aspects. And we're seeing the opportunities. We had a Jewish officer memorial service in D.C. this last year. I was able to attend that and join with rabbis from around the country, Israeli police who came in. And we love these opportunities to engage and talk to officers on their faith level and, and, uh, and, just, and just work with them in that. And I'm confident that when we do that, there's nothing that we can't achieve here. And we all recognize we're following this model of supreme sacrifice, service before self, service to others, our neighbors. Um, it's great to know that there's a whole format and, and, and road guide for how to step through these challenges and an example for all of us to follow. Well, Rick, you keep it up. You're doing a you're doing a, an amazing job, touching a lot of lives, and uh, you make us all proud. Uh, I know that uh, there's no doubt in my mind people are going to are going to see this and they say, "I really need to talk to this guy." Um, how would they get in touch with you? Well, um, I, I, I would say the first thing to do is just do it through the uh, national FOP. My FOP email is r snyder s n y d e r at fop dot net. Um, and then you can also always contact the national office. And uh, uh, I'm a big believer. If you reach out to me, I'm going to call you. We're going to talk. And uh, I'm also always firm in this. If you if you call and uh, you call for me, I'm going to come running. And so it's not just a phone call. If you need me there in person, I'm on my way. And like I said, however I have to get there, I'll work to get there or at least get somebody to you right away. And um, uh, nobody. Nobody is going to walk through this stuff by themselves if we have anything that we can do or say about it. Well, so very true. And, and, it, and it's not just you. Uh, I mean, you know, you gave your your contact information on how to contact you, but we'll put on a screen also any officer who's struggling. There are a number of different avenues for you to reach out and, and get help. Right. And uh, I ask you to please look on a screen now. And, and, uh, and, and if you're struggling. Uh, don't do it alone. No, there's no shame in, in, uh, in, in asking for help. Uh, we're Call all for backup. That's it. Call for backup. We're in, we're in this together. Uh, again, thank you for, for joining us today. Thank you for sharing uh, some, some great information. And uh, and I want to thank our viewers also. Uh, uh, the, our uh, our podcast is designed to, to talk about those challenging issues 
that are so very important to the men and women who show up to work in communities all across this country and make a difference in the lives. So, uh, so I appreciate your, your time. And again, uh, if you know someone who's struggling, reach out. Uh, I think we are our brother's keepers. Reach out, talk to them, have that hard conversation, that, that difficult conversation. There's no shame in, in, uh, in, in seeking help. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Everyone stay safe. God bless. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Blue View, hosted by Patrick Joe's, National President of the Fraternal Order of Police. To catch our next episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. See you next time.